Hey, you guys, how you doing? Good to see you. I missed you. There was way too many Thursdays since we last got together. I mean, it was only two, but it felt way too long. Thursday nights are a lot of fun spent with you guys. I'm glad to be here starting this new series, Holy Habits, like Jordan was saying. And I'm actually glad that we're calling it Holy Habits and not necessarily something like spiritual disciplines. And that's not because I think calling things like Bible reading and prayer are, you know, uh, things like those, calling them spiritual disciplines is a bad uh, name for those things. But I think that this kind of series title is hopefully going to shed some light on why these things are so important for us. Why Bible reading and prayer and fasting and all kinds of things are actually things given to us by God to make us set apart for him. To make us people marked and changed by God. And so let me first just quickly define the two words in this title, holy and habits. Okay, holy means set apart. It means something, uh, something that's holy has literally been given a, a new purpose. It's utterly distinct and different. In the Old Testament, when there's like things, like physical objects set aside to be made holy, it's like they... They have a completely new purpose now. They've been made clean and ready for a new use. They've been given a new task. And then habits. Habits are a settled, regular tendency. This is a definition I had to look up. I didn't make this one. A settled or regular tendency or practice, especially one that is hard to give up. Hard to give up. And if you're anything like me, you have a few things in your life that are honestly probably hard to give up like some habits that you just can't break. Maybe there's some good things that you just don't want to give up. Like for me, a significant habit every morning is coffee. I drink a lot of coffee, and I can't even go. We tried last fall as a staff to go a month without coffee. I was the first one to give in, okay? That is a habit I have so deeply ingrained that when I stop drinking coffee, I get a headache every morning. I need it by like 10, 30, 11, otherwise I am going to have a terrible day. But like another habit I have that like I just don't know how to, to, to really give up. It just keeps happening. It doesn't matter, you know, what I do on my phone. It's like inevitably the next app that I find that I got to get hooked on, I will find myself just like mindlessly opening and scrolling on. And I barely have social media, you guys. But I have trained myself over the course of having a smartphone for the last like 10 years or whatever that like... I want my smartphone when I have nothing else going on and I just go to it and the next thing you know, I'm like, I already checked my email 10 times today and no one else is emailing me because I am a ministry leader at Salt Company and no one emails me. It's duh, okay? People email Jordan, but I'm not like Jordan, so it's great. I don't get emails actually. Um, but like there are habits that you have formed that are incredibly hard for you to break. But maybe we need to become way more kind of able to not let our Bible reading and things like that, things that should become holy habits, be negotiable. Like maybe we need to become way less prone to giving up things like Bible reading, things like these holy habits of following Jesus. I think they're oftentimes way more like holy if I feel like it's than holy habits. And then before you know it, you've gone maybe days, a week, two, without even feeling like opening your Bible. And hear me say this up front. Like, this is what you need to hear me say. If you are a Christian, 
if your faith is in Jesus, God has already declared you to be holy. He's already declared you to be holy. Or you could say he's already declared you set apart in his sight. So he sees you as though you have lived the perfectly pure and blameless, sinless life that Jesus has. Like he's the only man to ever have lived that did that. And his life was completely set apart. All the rest of us have not lived that way. We've broken God's law. But Jesus kept it, walked in perfect fellowship with God, in perfect closeness to God. Prayed like no one else ever prayed. And his holiness, his set-apartness is now what God sees when he looks at you. That's incredibly good news, right? That's incredibly good news. And I'm talking about this at the front end of things before we talk about doing things for us to, to know God. And honestly, for most of us, we turn into thinking about Bible reading and prayer like things we need to do for God to be happy with us. But that's not how it is. Because of what God has done for us, how he's declared us right in his sight by faith, we desperately need holy habits. Not in order to please God, in order for God to be pleased with us, in order for, us to, for him to be happy with us, but because of what he's done. We don't need holy if I feel like it's. We actually need holy habits. We need to become what God has already declared us to be. When I was in college, a lot of my like, Christian friends, they were wearing those like WWJD bracelets. I don't know if those are still a thing anymore, but I had tons of friends that wore those, okay? And like, I think that's a fine question to ask. Like, okay, what would Jesus do? Like, I should ask that often. Like, I should consider that. But the thing is, is a bracelet isn't going to cause you to walk in greater closeness to God, like, just putting on that bracelet on your wrist is not going to make you do what Jesus did. Putting on a bracelet isn't going to cause you to be more holy in your heart. It might help you sometimes think, like, okay, should I do this? Should I say that? No, shouldn't. But putting on a bracelet is not going to turn you into the type of person that God is, like, calling you to be. In order to be the kind of person that Jesus is actually calling you to be, or in other words, in order to be the person that you already are in Christ, first you need the empowerment of the gospel every day, okay? We're like, woo, everyone wants that, right? But secondly, you need habits that shape you into this person that actually lives a holy life. So people declared to be holy need holy habits to become what they already are declared to be. And tonight... You've already been told, right? We're talking about Bible reading. That's our holy habit for tonight. So open with me to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. I want to make it harder for you to settle for reading your Bible like one or two times a week. Or maybe even somehow attempting to live the Christian life apart from God's word. And maybe you wouldn't say that's your, your kind of goal, like that's not what you're going for. But the reality is lots of people who claim to be Christians are living that way. They are. Almost one in four professing Christians in America say they never read God's word. And only two out of ten professing Christians say they have a daily habit of reading God's word. So in a room this size, like I'm just going to, to say like it's pretty, like just probably fair to assume 
We're all over the map when it comes to our Bible reading, in terms of our habits with the Bible. And that's American Christians. People in America are saying, like, I have a daily habit of reading my Bible. It's two out of ten. But for people in other parts of the world, people in the unreached places like we've talked about already some this semester, there are folks that don't have, like, the whole Bible translated in their language. They might not even have much of the New Testament. And they are longing for God's word. And here we are in America, two out of ten Christians say they read their Bibles daily, habitually. But we have Bibles at our fingertips. We have Bibles on our smartphones. We have Bibles all over the place, and yet we have barely any desire for it. Before we read Psalm 1, I just want to read what it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. It's not going to be on the screen, but it starts off by saying that all Scripture is breathed out by God. So if it's true that all Scripture is breathed out by God, like why aren't we reading it? Why don't we desire it? Or another thing that the Apostle Paul writes when he's inspired by the Holy Spirit and writing 1 Thessalonians 5.27, this letter that he writes to the church in Thessalonica is this. It'll be on the screen. He writes this. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Have you ever written a letter that you like told the recipient, I put you under oath to read this to the whole group? No, you haven't because your words aren't that important. Your words just aren't that important. Paul knows he's writing God's words, that he's moved by the Spirit, inspired by the Spirit in writing these words, so he puts them under oath to read this letter together. So maybe we don't have the right perspective when it comes to God's word. Like, what is going to actually make us? What perspective is going to actually make us hunger for God's word? Tonight in Psalm 1, I hope we get the perspective we need I think we're going to see it together in Psalm chapter 1. You guys beat me there. I'm going to get there. I told you to open to it, and then I didn't open to it. But the Psalms, we've talked about the Psalms already some too this uh, semester. The Psalms are this collection of 150 kind of poems and songs and, and prayers written over the course of a 1,000 or so years that were first used uh, for worship by God's people, Israel. And the Psalms are one of the books that probably the book out of all the books in the Bible that Christians for centuries now have come to again and again because of how real the authors of the Psalms are. Like they don't sugarcoat life. The authors aren't trying to, to just like pretend that life is easy or that like God is somehow sometimes feeling distant. Like that, all those things are in the Psalms. But the very first psalm is about God's law, about God's word. And it's almost as if to say that the perspective that you need for God's word is so important that you need to hear it at the beginning of the entire book of Psalms. Like it's placed intentionally in the beginning of the book of Psalms for us, I think, in a very like kind of important way. We need to take, we kind of just need to take note of that. So read with me verses 1 and 2. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, 
nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Blessed, or blessed, just means happy. If you have the the CSB translation, it just says, happy is the man, or happy is the the man or woman who, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, who doesn't do what the wicked try and persuade them to do. And now we need to talk about blessing for a minute, okay? Because blessing, it's this word that, I mean, it's all over our Bibles, but it's, it's I think, used in all kind of pockets and places in our culture today still. Even in this kind of way, like maybe on social media of like humble brags and just like wanting to talk about something great that's happened in your life. I was reading this, this one author by the name of Jessica Bennett, and to my knowledge, she's not a Christian, but she wrote this. She said, for many people, the term blessing has simply become this way of letting our world know, letting the world know our good fortune while alluding to some far-off divine force at work. But that's not like what the God of the Bible is doing. That's not what he's telling us he's like. He's not some far-off divine force that sometimes kind of showers blessing on some people. In fact, later in the psalm, we're going to see that the Lord knows, like intimately knows the way of the righteous. Like he's, he's near. He is close. And so we need to be acquainted with like who God is as we approach God's word. God isn't stretched thin across like all of humanity He's pouring out common grace, or you could say common blessing on everyone everywhere. Far more blessing than we deserve. And first, the author gives us, in verse 1, what we must not do. There's like kind of commands and things to do in the psalm, but first it's like the blessed man, the blessed woman, the happy person is marked by what they refuse Like, you need to refuse to follow the way of someone saying, like, follow me into sin, give in to sin. Like, the the blessed life, the happy life, isn't just about delighting in God's word. It is. Like, that's verse 2. We'll talk about that. But it's also about not doing what the wicked say to do. To not drink until you can't feel the pain anymore. Like, to refuse that person saying, you know, actually, the way to just have a great time in college is to just sleep around and find sexual chemistry, find what you're looking for. It's to refuse the way of the wicked. More than just refusing to walk in their ways, though, you need God's word to be what you most delight in. Look at verse 2. The blessed person's delight is in the law of the Lord. And again, the law means more than just like God's Ten Commandments. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. It's all that God has revealed in his word. The law of God or the word of God. This is what it says. The blessed person delights in God's word. They meditate on it day and night. This word meditate meditate literally means to like mutter or to kind of just like to the scripture. So these, these Jewish people who had God's word, 
who would be singing this song and memorizing this very verse would, for so much of their Bible, have it committed to memory. Because being a faithful Jewish person would mean you heard the word of God read from a scroll, but you didn't have a personal copy of the Bible. You didn't have what we have. The printing press wasn't invented. There was nothing like a Bible app on some screen. But you were able to meditate on God's word because you had stored it in your heart, in your mind. You'd committed it to memory. When you woke up, you set your heart kind of just and fixed it on the Lord. And when you laid down at night, you had God's word to recall and to chew on. And they did this not just because this is how you knew what God commanded, but because it helped you just remember the promises of God. God's word is good for the soul, and so it ended up being what they meditated on. This is the way of the, the happy, the blessed life. Meditating or kind of muttering, Tim Keller says, is like taking the truths of the Bible and pressing them down so deeply into your heart that they actually just set on fire at some point because you've set them so deeply down into your heart. You've pressed them down deep into your heart. I think sometimes we settle for just opening our Bible once a day when we feel like it, when we desire God enough. And we forget the fact that the Holy Spirit is trying to just use actually the, the word of God to stir our affections to meditate on the Lord throughout the day. Like we need the word to do the work in us to trust God and to walk with him and to please God more deeply. Like we think our Bible reading, we really do think our Bible reading is about keeping God satisfied with us when it's about us staying satisfied in him. And maybe more than just having some time every day when we open the Bible, we should do that. I'm saying let's do that. We actually need to be committed to memorizing even just small chunks of the Bible so that they would actually get pressed down deep into our hearts so that we could be the person that delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. Let's read verses 3 through 6. It says this, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The image we're given in verse 3 is like that of a tree. The, The blessed person, the person delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating on the law is like a tree. The trees are pretty boring to watch. They're pretty boring to watch. Like you don't go out and just say like, I want to watch a tree grow today, do you? You probably have never done that. Like maybe you'd watch a time lapse of a tree growing, but you would never just like bring a chair, decide I'm going to sit here for 100 years and watch this gigantic tree grow. But healthy trees, healthy trees eventually become so deeply rooted that they become these massive structures. And I don't know a lot more about trees. Like, I'm not going to talk about trees the rest of the night because I know nothing about trees aside from this. A tree needs water. 
tree needs water to live. And trees that get the nourishment, the water that they need, they end up bearing fruit. They bear fruit, and a tree doesn't consume its own fruit, right? A tree produces fruit that's good for others, that's a blessing to others. And the prospering that this psalm is talking about, like in in all that he does, the blessed person prospers, it's not necessarily like material prospering. In fact, I would argue most of the time it's probably not going to be the health and wealth type of thing. That is not what's promised in God's word. It's not temporal, material prospering. It's becoming something over a course of a lifetime, preparing you for meeting God face to face. And in, in when God's people dwell on the word, they change. They change. In fact, the blessing, the kind of prospering, the fruit that this psalm is talking about, that the, the blessed person kind of just bears because they're a tree. They're like this tree. I would say it's, it's probably most of the time for someone else and not so much for you. Or maybe it's for you in another season of life and you're reading your Bible and you're feeling like, yeah, I don't know how this exactly applies right now. But there's this need for you to hear God's voice daily because without it, you know you go the wrong direction. Maybe God's word is supposed to go into you and eventually out of your mouth to help you encourage someone Comfort someone, help a friend walk more closely with Jesus and turn from sin. You guys, there's three words in this third verse that you need to see. Three words, in its season. In its season. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Like your time spent in God's word today will over time, in its season, bear this fruit. Cause fruit to grow in your life. So don't look for instantaneous results. Don't look for a flash in the pan. Don't don't think of it that way. Think slow growth. Think like actually planting a seed in the ground and watching slowly, over time, something come about. You need to stay planted in God's word. Planted. Not just like have a little bit of it. Planted in God's word. If you were going to plant a tree, you wouldn't just like put the seed in the ground and expect it to grow really fast. You wouldn't move it around and plant it different places. That would be terrible for it. You'd leave it where it's planted. So Christian, don't uproot yourself from God's word when it feels like drudgery. I heard one... Salt director once say that sometimes the most spiritually mature thing you can do is just go through the motions. And that, that kind of sounds bad, right? Like you might think like, oh, like God doesn't want me to read my Bible when I don't want to. But you guys, I'm telling you as someone who like works in ministry that some days I don't want to read my Bible until I've opened my Bible and I'm reminded, man, this is the place that I'm called to plant myself And as I put myself here, I'm reminded of the fact that 
I do love the Lord. I do love his word, and my soul needs it. And I'm learning it. It's a journey. And so if you want to be blessed, if you want joy, I'm saying plant yourself in God's word for a lifetime. Like, is, is this the place you want to plant yourself? Is God's word where you want to plant yourself to receive life and nourishment? Or where are you planted? Like, where, where do you receive or attempt to find life and happiness and joy? Because the real prospering that this psalm is talking about, like, the real prosperity gospel, the biblical one, it's this lasting joy of having fruit that not only helps you stay connected to the Lord, but it's for others. It's a blessing to others. According to this psalm, the result of godly living and delighting in God's word is prospering eternally. The righteous are immovable. They're the tree, the wicked are the chaff that the wind drives away. You need God's word to prosper, to flourish. You need God's word because without it, you don't know the one you were made for. You don't know the one you were made for. In fact, the one you were made for, the Bible would say, has done more than give you a book. He's done more than give you a book. He became flesh. The word made flesh, Jesus Christ. God sent righteous Jesus to die for all the wicked, for the sinners, so that through him we would be set free from the demands of God's law, the curse of God's law, and actually delight in keeping it. Like, you might come to see in this psalm, like, delighting in God's law. Who delights in God's law? Why would people ever delight in, in the law? Those who've been freed by the Spirit to obey the law. You see, no one could ever delight in, in a law that condemns them as a sinner unless freely by grace they'd been actually given the righteousness of faith, the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. To have God look at them and see righteousness, this standard met, having been declared righteous and empowered by the Spirit, that's when we get all that we need. That's the gospel. Jesus has died and he's risen and he sent his spirit into our hearts that we'd walk in obedience and delight in the law to do its commands. And I, I want to get really practical as we kind of close our time. I'm going to give you some points if you're taking notes to hopefully read your Bible for all it's worth. And I can't help you read your Bible for all it's worth, but God can. And so, number one, before you read, pray. Before you read, pray. There are numerous places in the Psalms that talk about God's word, not just Psalm 1. And one of the, one of the prayers in the Psalms is, is actually to, like, show me wondrous things in your word, Lord. So ask God to show you wondrous things in the word as you go to read your Bible. Second one is this. Remind, remember that the Bible is about God. 
Like, as you come to the Bible, remember that ultimately it's about God. It's a book written by God, about God, meaning that it's not a self-help book. It wasn't written directly to you. All these things you need to keep in mind as you come to the Bible. But it is for you. It is applicable. It is relevant. It's for you. But you're not the original audience. Third, actually make it a habit. Like the series is called Holy Habits because we literally want to help you make time in God's word a habit. Something that you literally are so just used to doing that you do no matter what in the world is going on. So do it on, do it the same place, same time. Have a plan. Don't replace it with something else. If it's a habit, it won't get replaced. Some other practical little things that belong to this point of actually making it a habit. Make it a habit of reading it on a physical Bible. If you don't have a paper Bible, we'd love to give you one at Info Central, like for free, for free, for real. You guys, we talk about making it a habit, having this discipline of it. You need to hear this quote. Jesus was the most disciplined man who ever lived, and yet the most joyful and truly alive. Like Jesus had habits. He had habits of prayer and scripture meditation. He had to, like, he had to have done this. He did do this because when he was tempted, he just rattled off scripture and didn't sin. And I love how Donald Whitney, he says this, as we read our Bible, we can spiritually place ourselves on the path of God's grace and seek him. It's like putting ourselves in the very place that God's grace is going to flow to us. Don't you want that? Okay, point number three. Dwell on scripture. This comes from Colossians 3.16 where Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it dwell in you richly. So don't fly through a Bible reading plan. Don't, don't just make a habit of getting through a plan and checking off the reading for the day. Figure out how you can dwell on Scripture. You might have a few verses already memorized, short verses, verses that you knew from Awanas. I don't know. Help yourself actually dwell on them. You need God's Word to actually be something you chew on in order for your affections to be stirred for Jesus. Fifth, train in Scripture. Train. Grab your Bible real quick. I want to show you this. Go to 2 Timothy 3. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. I talked about this verse real quickly in the beginning but I want you to hear what the rest of it says. It won't be on the screen, but if you have a Bible, and again, get a Bible from us if you don't, okay? Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's what you train for. You train for righteousness. You train to be like Jesus, you train to be godly, to do what is right. Like, do you see your Bible reading as something that's a part of training to be 
who you're called to be? Or is it just this, I should, I have to, God might like me more if I did? Because I'm telling you, if you view it as a part of your training plan for becoming more like Jesus, the one who's already done what you couldn't do for yourself, allowing God to declare you righteous, you'll want to. You'll want to train. As part of your training, like God's word is going to help you overcome sin and temptation. Train in the scripture. Train. Get in the Bible and stir your affections. All right, sixth and final point is this. Hear the word preached. Hear the word preached. Like come under the preaching of God's word. And I know this is like kind of, you know, different than like Bible reading. It's a, it's a different spiritual discipline, some would say. But for me, coming under the preaching of God's word since I was in college has helped me love my Bible more on a Monday. It's helped me learn how to read my Bible. It's helped me understand the kind of like overarching themes in the Bible. All of that has happened because of the faithful preaching of God's word. And so make it a habit that you come under the preaching of God's word for the rest of your life on a Sunday. Thursday night's great too. Make it a habit that you come under the preaching of God's word on a Sunday with all of God's people. You guys, as we close, I want you to imagine, imagine with me just for a moment that maybe someday you're married, you have kids, maybe you even have grandkids by God's grace. And because you formed a habit, because you decided today that you would form a habit, something so actually impossible to give up on a busier day than most. A habit, a holy habit, and fell more in love with your Bible, and not just your Bible, but the, the God of the Bible. Maybe your kids, your grandkids, would be the recipients of the blessing, the recipients of the fruit growing on you, this, this gigantic oak tree, so deeply rooted in the gospel that you are just full of joy and wisdom. They couldn't even help but love their Bible and love the God of the Bible because they see through you God at work in your life. They see the God who gave himself not just for you but for them. And so let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you so much for just what you have done. You've not only revealed yourself in, in our Bibles, you've, you've revealed yourself in, in human flesh. Jesus, you are the, the image of the invisible God. And we, we're so thankful that we have the ability to, to know you and hear you speak to us through your word. God, I, I pray that you would bring that, that sort of 
vision, that, that prayer to reality someday, that men and women in this room, students in this room, would love their Bibles because you first loved them. That the Bible would be the most just non-negotiable thing in their day. God, would you make us more easily shaped by your word, more ready to be challenged and convicted by your word. We ask this in your son's name.